Artemis are known as the profit hunters for good reason. We seek out profits when conditions are good. When they take a turn for the worse. And when they're downright terrible. For over 20 years, we've been hunting down profits, whatever the economic climate has been like. As we will continue to do. Artemis, the profit hunter. Capital at risk. Hello, Happy New Year all, and welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast, sponsored by Artemis. I'm Joseph Wilkins, writer on Asset Allocator, and joining me today are Jason Day, Senior Investment Manager at Aberdeen, and David Thorpe, Contributing Editor at Asset Allocator. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Jason, we thought we'd kick off with a question on yields. Um, It's no surprise to say that yields have pushed higher over the past year. And so we were wondering how you navigate investing for those clients with income as a priority and how might you go about constructing a portfolio in this environment? Uh, Well, well, certainly the the yield um, environment has changed dramatically uh, over the last couple of years. What's the driver for that? It's the very aggressive uh, rate of um, interest rates and monetary uh, tightening. Bank of England being the first major uh, G7 bank to actually raise interest rates, uh, followed shortly uh, after by the Federal Reserve. And really the focus has been on the Fed, so which uh, began its uh, tightening cycle in March uh, 2022. So we're coming up very shortly to the two-year anniversary of that. Uh, so the context then, you've had rates go from effectively zero uh, to just over 5% in a very short period of time. Uh, and that caused a significant downdraft in bond valuations, uh, particularly in 2022. So U.S. Uh, Treasury, the 10-year, actually had its worst year uh, since uh, 1788. And it was a very similar picture uh, for sovereign bonds in the U.K., uh, with gilts uh, suffering heavy losses. So what does that all mean? Uh, it means that you certainly get a, a yield, an income uh, from fixed income today. Uh, and that's a very different picture uh, than it has been uh, for a number of years where yields were incredibly low. Uh, and you'll recall we had this environment uh, where you actually had a vast um, proportion of debt, either sovereign or high-grade uh, corporate debt, actually had negative uh, real interest rates, uh, real yields, uh, and a negative interest rate environment. Uh, so that major reset in bond markets does actually provide an opportunity for investors today uh, to actually lock into some pretty attractive yields. Uh, so case in point, you've now got US 10-year bonds yielding around 4%, and it's a similar picture um, in terms of gilts, 10-year gilts yielding about uh, 4% as well. So that's quite an attractive uh quite an attractive uh, running yield, quite an attractive cushion. Um, Jason, that's interesting. Thank you. And how do you think about the, for those clients who who maybe have income as a priority, how do you think about balancing, um, uh, you know, obtaining a yield, which they need to do, with with capital uh, appreciation or, or capital growth considerations? Yeah, uh, and that's, of course, where your your equity allocation comes in. So uh, equities, particularly in the UK, uh, the the FTSE has has a strong history of paying dividends, uh, which are which are very well supported. 
Uh, so if you think about the, the all share dividend yield, again, is around 4%. If you're buying UK equity income funds, their objective is to actually generate a yield in excess uh, of, the, of, the, um, of the yield on the all share. So that gives you a premium. Uh, so that's great in terms of income generation, uh, but you're buying underlying companies within those uh, strategies. And that's where you're getting uh, an element of, um, of uplift uh, longer term, because of course, inf- equities are the best asset class uh, as a hedge against inflation uh, long term. So case in point, uh, last year, quite a challenging year, of course, for global markets. Uh, however, you know, the oil share was up uh, around just short of uh, 8% uh, equity income funds, uh, a lot of them, and certainly the ones we have in our portfolios actually outperformed the oil share and were up around 10%. Uh, so that's giving you you know, a, a measure of outperformance against equities, and hopefully that will continue uh, longer term. Excellent, thank you. Um, and so how have these market movements translated to portfolio allocations within Aberdeen's allocations? What, how have you moved around yeah. in the last year? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're neutral UK equities in the portfolios. Uh, the rationale for that is that we actually quite like the composition of the, the UK market. It's dominated very much by uh, so-called old economy sectors. Uh, so Marshall Waste Hedge Fund uh, did actually refer to um, the UK as Jurassic Park. Uh, a couple of years ago because it's such an old-fashioned uh, market compared to the uh, the US, which is more tech-orientated, more growth-orientated. But we quite like Jurassic Park. We quite like that value orientation. So uh, if you then use your value um, uh, element, the UK, and offset that with the US, which is very growth-orientated, we actually think that's quite a good uh, combination. So neutral overall to UK equities, but what we have done is made some changes in terms of the baskets that we use, uh, both in our income models uh, and in Aberdeen NPS, which are our flagship uh, total return models, where we have five different um, uh, risk spectrums uh, within that uh, suite of products. Uh, And so what we've done actually is, although um, UK equity, equity income funds and value overall has performed very, very well. Uh, We actually think it's quite a good time to add to growth in those types of portfolios. Uh, So we actually added a new fund uh, in the third quarter of last year. Uh, We introduced Lion Trust UK Growth Fund. Now Lion Trust under uh, Anthony Cross uh, and the team, very, very good long-term track record uh, in this rising rates environment those types of strategies actually had a bit of a headwind uh, and the manager uh, found it quite um, challenging uh, over the course of the year. That actually provided an opportunity because that particular strategy had been trading at a significant premium uh, in terms of valuation against the all share. Uh, With that valuation narrowing, uh, that provided a, um, a good entry point, we think, in our portfolios and actually widens out the uh, the growth footprint uh, and gives you a bit more balance uh, and makes those UK equity baskets a bit more weatherproof going forward. That's interesting, Jason, thank you. And um, um, what, what does a growth fund in the UK look like, given that we have this Jurassic Park 
characterization, which, which implies that there's not a lot of growth out there. Are those companies in the UK which, which have growth characteristics, which are suitable to appear in a growth fund, are they expensive? And therefore, are UK growth funds forced to fish at the more expensive end of the market relative to uh, growth funds in other countries or global growth funds? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, Line Trust is quite interesting because if you look at the, the factor composition, if you were to use something like uh, Star Research or Enterprise, where you feed the underlying holdings into that software, uh, and you look at this, the fund's DNA, uh, and you look at, um, we call it the skyline, you look at you know the value and growth and quality, quality metrics, Yes, it does have that tilt to quality and does have that tilt to growth against the, the index. But the actual underlying composition of that fund, uh, you know, the, the team have actually been buying some companies which you may not necessarily think of as quality growth. Uh, and by that, I mean some of the uh, energy majors. Uh, and the rationale there is, you know, the very, uh, very strong balance sheets with those uh, companies. So that's your quality metric certainly very high barriers to entry quite an effective moat i.e there's not much competition uh from other um uh, companies in that particular space uh and they do sustain very uh strong dividends and i've got the uh you know the um the dry powder to keep those uh dividends and those cash flows maintained so uh energy companies you would historically think of as more value uh, but I think that's quite interesting that companies like that are certainly featuring uh, in the Lion Trust Fund, and we've seen that in other growth-orientated managers as well. Thank you. Great. Um, and on, well, remaining on growth uh, stocks, uh, on the flip side, you have US equities, which are continuing to outperform. And I guess it's been argued that the Magnificent Seven have accounted for pretty much all of the S&P's recent gains and the market itself may have become too concentrated as a result. Do you agree with this stance or do you think there's more room to run in the US equity sphere? Well, it's, I mean, it's undeniable that they've driven the majority of the returns uh, over the course of last year. Uh, I think the landscape will look very different the next 10 years will look very different from you know the, from the prior 10 years i think the uh the gains uh, will broaden out to other segments of the us uh stock market uh, and one of the reasons for that is we're going to have a um, although rates you know we anticipate interest rates to come down in the us they're still going to be higher than they have been over the last 10 years uh, so uh, that provides a, a a different discount rate and of course, these um, companies that, you know, the Magnificent Seven are highly growth orientated and have benefited from that low interest rate environment uh, with that low discount rate. Uh, and the other significant factor is the changing composition of the US economy in terms of state support uh, for various segments of the US economy. So if you think about uh, some of the initiatives that have been put into place by the Biden administration that has been all about reindustrializing re america uh, making america more energy dependent making uh, america less dependent on um other countries for their supply chains uh, and all of that we think or we think is going to be good for certain um companies in the us particularly mid-cap companies 
uh, and some of the figures in terms of the, um, the deployment of assets are quite staggering. So, I mean, Infrastructure and Jobs Act, 1.2 trillion, Inflation Reduction Act is 500 billion, and the Chips and Science Act is 53 billion. So these are significant measures being put in place, uh, which uh, will make uh, certain parts of the economy a lot stronger. Uh, and probably dilute the dominance of those magnificent seven companies. Great. And how does that uh, translate to your, well, to Aberdeen's view on their portfolio allocations within the US market? How how are you shaping up for that over the next year? Yeah, so uh, Aberdeen MPS is um, the, the hybrid models, they use active managers and they use passives. Uh, so in the U UK example uh, that I provided uh, previously, we use a basket of active managers. Uh, in the US, we use an index tracker, uh, but you make an active selection uh, with the um, with the index tracker that you, that you actually allocate to uh, in your portfolios. Uh, and so we use Vanguard US Equity Index, uh, and Vanguard tracks the S&P Total Market Index. So that's over 3,000 underlying companies. That covers mega cap, large cap, mid cap, small cap, and micro cap. So it's a far broader range of um, of, of companies within that basket, uh, and that should also help as the uh, as the leadership broadens out uh, in the U.S. equity um, in U.S. equities going forward. Uh, another part of that, of course, is valuation. So uh, Magnificent Seven. Uh, clearly trading at a premium, S&P 500 is trading at a premium relative to its uh, long-term average. Not at, not at the highest part of the range, but certainly higher than the average. Uh, and mid-caps are actually you know, pretty attractively valued. So S&P 400, which is a mid-cap index, there's a 30-year disparity in terms of the valuation metrics between that mid-cap index uh, and the S&P 500. So probably not a bad entry point for long-term investors. Great. Well, it seems like if you know where to look, there's still value to be found in uh, the US market. Um, so I think we've got time for one more question. Um, I understand that alternatives form a part of Aberdeen's strategy, especially uh, in a time where perhaps finding yield was, was harder to come by. Um, and I was wondering how you now view investing in alternatives in an environment of higher bond yields and when these are so attractive does it still make sense to seek return elsewhere yeah so we we classify alternative investments as global listed infrastructure and global real estate investment trusts uh, the rationale for inclusion in the portfolios was uh, to have, have a total return orientation although the income element is attractive as well uh, does provide an additional source of uh, of income uh, against bonds and equities uh, we still think the case for alternative investments is strong in portfolios uh, so if you think about uh, infrastructure it's a uh, lower beta uh, to um, conventional equities so it provides an element of relative downside protection plus you get the income stream uh, you also get an inflation uplift in terms of um, you know the income generation uh, because the underlying contracts with infrastructure companies tend to have a 
and an index linked element. So that's attractive. So you can grow your income and you can't grow your income uh, from conventional stroke nominal bonds, uh, hence why they're called fixed income. Uh, global real estate investment trusts, more interest rate sensitive, hence uh, during the course of last year, uh, they underperformed um, global real estate uh, infrastructure. Uh, sorry, global listed infrastructure, uh, and they tend to be a bit more cyclical uh, and a bit more highly correlated to equities. But we still think they have a, a role to play in portfolios um, because they do offer uh, a different component in portfolios and they do also have that inflation pass through as well, uh, which we think is important as part of the total return characteristics. Excellent. Thank you, Jason. That's interesting. And with alternatives, um, are you also keen on, for example, uh, total return funds or absolute return funds or uh, th those those kind of uh, structures which which have been in the doghouse with many investors in in recent years? Uh, yeah, we we've had um, absolute return in our portfolios since inception in November two thousand and fourteen in Aberdeen MPS. Uh, tactically, uh, we've got a lighter weighting. Uh, than we've had for a number of years because we think the opportunity set within fixed income actually offers a better risk adjusted profile so uh, as an example one of the tactical uh, maneuvers that we made in q4 was to actually reintroduce us treasuries into the portfolios uh, yields were around four and a half to five percent we thought that was a good entry point and that's proven to be the case uh, over this short period uh, to go back to your question, we think that uh, absolute return does provide a different source of returns, can provide an element of downside protection. Uh, we saw that during the, the COVID crisis. Um, we also saw that um, after the, um, well, in 2021, uh, one of our absolute return portfolios, sorry, wrong, one of our absolute return funds actually had a major contribution to the absolute return basket and provided you know, a significant element of uh, protection. So we still think they have a role to play. Uh, it is a challenging asset class. There are probably less funds available than there were you know, several years ago, uh, but we still uh, think it can provide um, characteristics that are attractive uh, for long-term investors. Excellent. Well, I think that's about all we have time for today. Um, I'd like to thank you, Jason, for joining us. That was really insightful. Uh, thank you. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. And thanks, David, uh, mm -hmm. for helping us out. And uh, yeah, I'm Joseph Wilkins. And that was the Asset Allocator podcast. I hope to see you next time.